Hey guys, welcome back. It's Krista Living Sober Podcast, and this is episode 10. Today we're going to talk about suffering and addiction. We all know that suffering of unpleasantness and it's also associated with harm or threat of harm towards an individual and opposite of pain and opposite of suffering would be happiness pleasure right suffering can be either physical or mental suffering comes in all degrees of intensity meaning Suffering can be mild, it can be moderate, it can be intolerable where you can't bear it anymore. And everybody is going to suffer differently because nobody is made the same. So if you have ever been in a distress situation, if you've ever been unhappy, miserable, afflicted, if you were ever ill, in discomfort, If you ever had experienced a displeasure, then if you experienced any of these, you were probably suffering in some type of way. And so suffering in our brains have a lot to show us. And scientists have um, discovered something called the pain overlap theory and it kind of just shows it's crazy so I think what that means is if you've ever heard the saying once an addict always an addict it's true for me I'm almost three years sober but I'm still an addict because I could so easily um, have a relapse. I could easily go pick up a drink and that's it. You know, that will lead me into using again. And anything could trigger me, but I think because I have such a good network of support in place, because I have my faith-based studies, and because I rely on my higher power, I'm not going to fall victim to relapse so easily as others might. With addiction, with this lifelong disease, we have uncontrollable urges and we are under this compulsion to use these dangerous substances and Sometimes we engage ourselves in harmful activities despite knowing the negative consequences that these are going to have on our lives. This disease makes one physically, mentally unable to stop. When we're suffering from our addiction, it ruins and damages relationships. That's what the disease does. For me, it damaged my relationships sometimes beyond repair. Um, there are many times where I let alcohol and drugs get the best of me, and I did some crazy, uncalled for things. 
And when you wake up the next morning from a night of craziness, from a night where people tell you stories of things that you've done that are outrageous, you're kind of like, wow, like, what the hell? I did that. Or, you know, there's lost time. You kind of turned into somebody that you weren't. And that's scary. I know I felt guilt. I felt ashamed. And um, that's what the suffering of this disease did to me. It, the suffering causes problems at work, causes financial legal problems, and causes severe health issues that can become fatal. Again, for me, I would call out of work. I would no call, no show and go get high or go get drunk. I would come to work drunk. On my break, I would go get drunk. Was I reliable? No. Did I care? Absolutely not. And then financially, I would probably say that I worked to drink because you would always find me in the bar after work. Was I saving my money by being there? No. I was buying the whole entire place shots because I thought I was a baller, but I wasn't, you know. That money could have went to something else. And then these financial issues and the legal problems weren't only driving drunk, right? I had other problems leading up to that, you know, trespassing, assault and battery, disorderly conduct, The list goes on, but you get it. And that's what suffering, the suffering of addiction does. So luckily, I never had any severe health issues, but I know that I had alcohol poisoning more than once. I know that I did end up in hospitals way more than once. And any of that, even the drunk driving, any of that could have led me to having a severe health problem or you know it could have led something bad to happen to me which I am so very grateful that it didn't but through our suffering through the addiction there is help you can get help from a rehab help from a therapist at therapy there are support groups um There's also meetings, and there is faith-based programs. Like for me, what helped this time was I I went to a detox for um, a few weeks, and then I went to a six-month faith-based program called the Salvation Army. And there's also medications, which if you need to take medication, then I respect that and a person should take it. But I feel like sometimes in our society still today, doctors will prescribe you medications and it's kind of almost like they're putting a Band-Aid on whatever it is that you have, right? And they're not really dealing with the problem head on, kind of like I said, putting a band-aid on it. And when that happens, you are only touching the surface. You're only hailing the surface and not what lies beneath.
20 million people are suffering from the disease of addiction in the United States alone. And that is a lot of people, you guys. And it's sad. That's scary. And only one in 10 of these 23 million Americans receive the treatment they would need. That is a treatment gap of more than 20 million Americans. And the issue, I believe, would be cost and lack of assurance. People who need help are unable to receive their treatment. And those that are able to access treatment use their own money. And it's just a big mess. I think that is inside the healthcare institution and insurance and money and funding for addiction treatment comes from government sources and more than three quarters there's 77 percent of the treatment costs are paid by federal state and local governments including medicaid and medicare private insurance covers only 10 percent of addiction treatment costs with out-of-pocket expenditures and other private funding making up the remaining percentage In contrast, private insurance pays for approximately only 37% of the general medical costs. Screening and treatment isn't really integrated into the healthcare system at all. So less than 7% of those receiving treatment were referred by another healthcare provider. So that's slightly more than two-thirds of the people receiving treatment got there through self-referrals or the criminal justice system, not on their own. I think at a national level, they really need to focus more on the addiction treatment gap. They need to focus on developing meaningful addiction treatment benefits that can cover a whole bunch of services because there's so many different types of addictions, right? And there's so many different type of things happening to people. You need different screening, different interventions, different treatment, and different types of supports for certain substances. So that's where it kind of gets tricky. They need to monitor implantation to prevent new barriers to treatment so they need to ensure that there will be full coverage for but also access to appropriate care um so i think that starts where they utilize and strategize interventions but they need to have effectiveness and then What needs to happen is they need to preserve federal and state safety nets to ensure treatment is still available to individuals not covered by health care reform or these people who are unable to afford insurance coverage, even with their subsides or coverage. It's just messy. Um, And there's just so many obstacles that are in place that prevent people from getting treatment, from getting housing, from getting education, healthcare, or employment. And a lot of that just makes and keeps people in addiction. Ugh, so it's kind of like this big process and cycle that is a mess. Substance abuse disorder, it refers to 
a substance abuse. And that is when we use any substance that it unnaturally increases dopamine levels in your reward pathways. So these substances include prescription painkillers, illicit substances, nicotine, or alcohol. So that kind of is the whole wide variety of drugs that people normally will be using. But also suffer from behavioral addictions, and that might include exercising too much, if they diet too much, overeating, so eating too much, gambling, shoplifting, um, if they behave in, I mean, if they participate in risky behaviors, um, some people will be and suffer from sex, from pornography, from shopping and spending money, to video games, social media, the internet. And anybody, it's not just like a one group category, but anybody can develop a substance disorder. But it is true that any family genetics family history that you have a higher risk of developing a substance use disorder and for me because my birth mother was addicted to crack cocaine and I was a baby and I was born like a month or two months premature I'm not sure I forgot but I feel like that's where my genetic history his um yeah, my history made me a higher risk of developing my addiction. And my adoptive parents always told me that, but I never really listened. I never really thought it would be true. But honestly, it was true. And I think that's what led me to suffer from emotional health disorders. My mental health disorders led me to my addiction, but it was more powerful because of my history. But that leads us into mental health disorders like depression, PTSD, any traumatic experience. These mental health disorders are more more likely to have like a comorbid substance use disorders as well as substance use. So it's kind of like when I went into a program, I was categorized as having like a dual diagnosis. So they treated my mental health, but also my substance, um, my substance abuse. And somebody is suffering from their addiction, they have an inability to stop using, right? So you're not going to be able to stop when you want to. For me, that was so hard because I, I, became so dependent on drinking, on alcohol, and there were so many times where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to cut back. I'm going to stop, and, you know, maybe I did for a while. Okay, so, for example, I did a drug and alcohol program because um, of my OUI the second time, and they put me on an alcohol breathalyzer, which prevented me from drinking because I couldn't. I had to blow into this thing, this machine, three times a day, and it would monitor 
my sobriety. So I would have to be sober. And I was on that for about five or six months. But I remember right after it was kind of like freedom. But what did I do? I went out and I drank. I don't know. I mean, I wanted to, but at the same time, I don't know what it was. It was like the spell that I was under in my addiction. It still wanted me to go and use, even though it's been so long. And that was before I really had anything in place to help me stay sober. For me, I guess, in this situation would be cutting back. And I never really could do that because I told myself that I would cut back, but um, that never happened, right? One bottle of wine never turned into a half. Like, it would turn into two bottles. And... I couldn't control myself. That was not the case. Um, When somebody is suffering from their addiction, they have an increased tolerance. So I think as you become addicted, your tolerance goes up, right? And, And towards the end there, my tolerance was very high. And I felt like alcohol wasn't cutting it for me anymore and I was just getting angry. I was just blacking out and drinking wasn't doing it. So I know that if I continued with my addiction, with my using, I probably would have gone to something more stronger, something harder, just so that I could feel better because alcohol wasn't doing it anymore. And I think my tolerance was just already built up so much that I needed something stronger. And it's kind of scary to think like that. But I know that's what would have happened if I had never stopped. When someone suffers from their addiction, they have this intense focus on substance and um, on behaviors. That's where craving and obsessing and you just always are constantly thinking of the next high. Like, when am I going to get it? Where am I going to get it? Like, you're focused and obsessed. And that's kind of what happened probably after I got off the breathalyzer, right? I'm like, I'm free, so I'm going to think and focus and obsess over where I'm going to get drunk and when I'm going to get drunk and how. And that is the suffering of addiction. That's what it does. That's crazy. I've seen it in friends who, and myself though, who wake up and just need that shot or a couple of shots in the morning because of the shakes, right? You're obsessing over it because you need it. And that's what suffering does. And that's how you, in addiction, we're completely changed and we are somebody who we weren't before. When we suffer in our addiction, we have lack of control, we have health issues, I mentioned before. And then we have withdrawal symptoms when we're trying to do better. So the lack of control is when we are helpless, we feel guilty, depressed, and overwhelmed. And I felt like that so many times. I felt not good enough. I felt the shame and guilt from everything that I've done using. And my depression was already there, but I mean, when you use, you suffer more because you're putting more suffering back into yourself like I had depression I drank and drinking is a depressant so it made it intensified which kind of ties into the health issues 
I think. Um, you could have medical, mental, all these health issues could either get very worse. And I think for me, they did. Therapy worked sometimes. Medication never really worked because I was always using. Um, I'm very fortunate, very blessed, very grateful that I never had anything super bad happen to me during my active addiction because I have my brain. I am not totally messed up. And I think my higher power, my God for that, because you see a lot of different scenarios and cases where people in active addiction really mess themselves up. And sometimes there's no coming back. So that's a scary thing. And then the withdrawal symptoms that we suffer from, we see this when we're in a detox. We see this when people are shaking, they're sweating, when they have anxiety, sadness, and anger. Only if you were suffering from your addiction, you would have. And maybe you already had some problem, but it did intensify with the addiction. So suffering, which is pain. It can seem like at some point in our lives is constant. The suffering of addiction, when you're stuck in it, you will seem and feel like there's no light, there's no hope, and there's no getting out of it. But suffering can be changed from pleasant, I mean, from unpleasant to pleasant. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I want to just let everybody listening know that. If you're right now listening to this episode and you are in active addiction, if you are suffering from your addiction, know that I was where you were before. Yes, there's a dark cloud hanging over your head. You are in pain. You are feeling miserable. Don't give up. Even in the grips of the most severe addiction and the se- severe disease, there can be a sense of relief. My suffering didn't last forever, and it did last a long time because I was 30 years old when I got sober. Technically, 29, but my birthday was, like, right there. But that's a long time, 13 to 30, where you're stuck in this active addiction, stuck in this chaos, and you really just want life to change. So... I was stuck in a cycle of suffering in my addiction, but I got out from it. Like Buddha says, suffering in the transformation of suffering, in the end you'll find peace, joy, and liberation. In the end, we can be liberated. We will be free, but we have a lot of work to do because it doesn't happen overnight. So there are some ways that we can put an end to our suffering. First, we have to identify and acknowledge the suffering that we're dealing with. And for this case, I would say mine and yours might be suffering from addiction, suffering from a mental health issue. Many of us run away from our sorrows because it's hard to face them head on. And it's so easier. It's easier to give up everything and hide and be lonely but that's what the darkness in our soul does. And then that will keep growing. And then we won't be able to move on from there. And that path to unhappiness 
is our suffering and you can get stuck in that cycle. I know I was. If we admit that we are suffering, then we have a chance to transform those sufferings. And that's Thich Nhat Tan. When we accept suffering as an essential part of a life, we will look deeply and listen to ourselves. And when listening with mindfulness, we can attain a different type of insight, and that's called dukkha. And that is how we defeat our suffering. We have to truly present ourselves to understand our sufferings and our difficulties. Some things we can do, meditation. Um, I know this is hard, but it's a habit and a practice that you have to really, 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 really try hard to keep up with daily. And you will find a sort of peace and a sort of comfort with meditating. Another thing we can express compassion. So compassion is that feeling inside of our hearts and that's when and where we we help others, we assist others, and then that helps us be free. So maybe volunteer with addicts or with homeless population, with children, with older people, whichever it may be, give back and then you get back and that will lift your spirits so much. We have to understand that nothing is born or lost. So the nature of our reality, like in our present time, it's neither coming and it's not going. You know, we're not, we are like, we're from nothing. We're from nowhere and we are not going anywhere. Just stay in the present. And it's so hard to do because for me, I'm always thinking in the present. I mean, I'm always thinking in the future or in the past. And I have to kind of remind myself to come back to the present and understand that this is me, this is here, and take it one step and one day at a time. We have to acknowledge that nothing is permanent. Sometimes we feel disheartened when things change, but I think change is just a constant. Although change for me, I always viewed as negative, it has positive sides. And I think the chance for change. It's kind of like renew, renewing. Change is what we need to move on. Like the seasons change, like fall changes to winter and then back to spring. That's a new cycle of life. And that's what we go through. All these different changes and phases of our lives bring us to something better, something greater. Our life is a long journey. We have to remember that suffering, that our pain, that our addictions, our sickness, any tragedy, any resentment, our cycle of death and rebirth is bound. You know, um, the more we try to avoid it, the more we lose our direction. And the only way to overcome the suffering, we have to maintain happiness. And we have to learn how to enjoy every moment of this life. And go with the flow, go with the changes. That's hard. Like Buddha said, long is the night to him who is awake. Long is a mile to him who is tired. Long is life to the foolish who do not know the true law. What I want you to take away from this is we suffer and we have pain in our addictions. That is our brain, you know, that is our disease that we deal with. Although addiction is a disease that's lifelong and that is something that we'll always have, you can recover. You can become 
sober, you can live a life of sobriety, and you can experience happiness. There is light at the end of the tunnel, and I promise you we'll be able to get there. And if anyone needs help, if anyone wants advice and guidance, reach out to me. I am always here for you. And have a blessed Saturday. Thank you. Thank you.